Hey guys, I'm Michelle. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in. It's so awesome seeing all of you new listeners, all of you that are following me into the dark on these twisted stories. And today's story is no exception. It is a good one and it's one of my favorite topics. So let's dive in. The Cecil Hotel. Without a doubt, one of the most infamous landmarks in LA and for sure one of the creepiest. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, there's no denying that there are strange coincidences that cast a dark shadow over what some some people call hotel death or the suicide hotel. This place has always been fascinating to me for years, and not just because of the Elisa Lamb story that really got people talking about it um, several years ago. Um, if you haven't heard of Elisa Lamb, I'll talk about her a little later in the show, but that's not the only occurrence and strange tale when it comes to the Cecil Hotel. This place is popular for all the wrong reasons. Located at 640 South Main Street in downtown Los Angeles, just a few blocks away from Skid Row. And Skid Row, I am referring to the neighborhood that made up um, thousands of homeless people in a four-mile radius of the hotel. I am not referring to the kick-ass band formed in 1986 in New Jersey with the lead singer Sebastian Bach, who could shatter glass with that hair metal screech. I love him, by the way. But I digress. Moving on, the Cecil, renamed Stay on Main in 2011 due to the damaged reputation in the checkered past. It became one half long-term stay for low income and one half hostel budget lodging for travel travelers. A lot of people didn't even know they were actually staying at the Cecil when they booked at the Stay on Main. The bottom two floors are where the long-term residents are. Floors four through six are the hostel stay on Main and seven and up are the Cecil hotel rooms. As of 2017, it's being renovated into a mix of hotel rooms and residential units, and it is set to reopen in October of 2021, this year. Um, back in 2017, it was deemed a historical landmark. But let's go way back, let's go back to the beginning, the origin of where this iconic building started. A building that spurred multiple documentaries, it housed serial killers, and was the base of a season of American Horror Story Hotel, which, by the way, I loved it. I actually didn't love it the first time I watched it, but then I watched it a second time, and I was pretty impressed. I noticed a lot more of the little details in there that you missed the first time. So, anyways, moving on. The Cecil was built in the site of a home that later was converted into a chicken farm slash pet store called Fancier's Exchange, the Chicken Ranch store stayed in business into the early 1920s. The property was sold to W.W. Patton and Associates for a new hotel. The Cecil's architect was L.L. Smith, and it was constructed by the Weymouth Crowell Company. All its furnishing was made in California. The reinforced concrete hotel building featured 700 rooms with 50% baths, a spacious lobby, a mezzanine, and a basement. The Cecil's main outstanding feature was a large terracotta adorned archway that served as the main entrance. The main lobby was marble with stained glass windows, potted palms, and alabaster statues. In 
It opened December 20th, 1924, after three years of construction. The CISA hotel officers were W.B. Hanner, he was the president, who poured a million dollars into starting the hotel, which is equivalent to about 13 million now. R.H. Shops was vice president, and Charles L. Dix was the secretary treasurer. These three hoteliers invested $2.5 million in the project. So nothing exciting yet. Uh, it, res- it received a gift of 700 Gideon Bibles in July of 1925. The cost to say- stay at the Cecil in 1927 um, rooms with shared baths cost $1.50 a night. Rooms with a private toilet cost $2 a night. And rooms with a private bath cost $2.50 a night. And just for perspective, a dollar in 1927 is equivalent to about $15.22 today. Within five years of opening, the Great Depression hit. And over the years, it really turned... It, it turned the hotel into a shit show. It was a budget hotel. It really went down. Opened as something that was supposed to be nice uh, for middle-class travelers, um, but depression hit and it tanked. So now let's start talking about all the deaths that have taken place over the years at the Cecil. The mysterious deaths and su- suicides started as early as 1926, They don't even report the first two deaths um, when you look up what the first actual death is there. But there's two that happened before that. And it's probably, uh, probably doesn't really come up because they're not really odd or morbid. Um, In June of 1926, the body of William F. McKay, who was a mining operator in Arizona, died at the Cecil Hotel at age 62. Nothing suspicious. October 6, 1926, H.W. Simons, an ex-officer of a brick company, was a victim of heart disease and says he lived at the Cecil for several years, but this was in 26 and the Cecil just opened two years prior to that, so I guess several means two. Again, nothing suspicious. Now, January 23rd, 1927, this was the actual first reported death at the Cecil leaving a note addressed to the press in which he said he has spent $40,000 in the last six months in a vain attempt to buy happiness. Percy Ormond Cook, age 52, shot himself in a room at the Cecil. He was rushed to the hospital, but he didn't survive the self-inflicted wound. Cook was formerly a well-to-do real estate dealer of Province, Rhode Island. He separated from his wife and son several months before and he decided to commit suicide. He wrote a letter to his wife in which he informed her of his intention, but he spent more than a week trying to work up his courage to pull the trigger. Money cannot buy happiness, Cook wrote in his farewell message. I have tried and I find that it cannot be done. I've lost my wife, my son, and my home, and I'm doing the only thing left for me to do. Moving on, November 19th, 1931, W.K. Norton, age 46, from Manhattan Beach, California, committed suicide by ingesting poison capsules in his room at the Cecil. He had checked in a week prior under the name James Willis from Chicago. September 1932, Benjamin Dodich, 
age 25, took his life with a gunshot to the head. He did not leave a note. His body was found by a maid. July 1934, Sergeant Louis D. Borden, age 53, a former army medic, slit his own throat with a razor. He did leave several suicide notes, and he states poor health as being the reason for taking his own life. March 1937, Grace E. Magro. This one could have been suicide or an accident. She fell from nine stories, or jumped from nine stories, out of her window. She landed on the telephone wires that were wrapped around her body when they found her, and she later died at the hospital. January 1938, Roy Thompson, 35, was a United States Marine Corps fireman. He jumped from the top floor and landed on the skylight of the building next door. He'd been staying at the Cecil for weeks. May 1939, Erwin C. Neblett, age 39, a naval officer, ingested poison in his room at the Cecil. January 1940, Dorothy Seeger, 45, a teacher, also took poison while staying at the Cecil. Initially, it was reported by the LA Times as a near death, but then nothing else was published about her condition. But on findadeath.com, it lists her um, as, it lists her death January 12th, 1940. So, seems to be, I can see the convenience factor of jumping out of a hotel room. Like, if you want to commit suicide, I, I get that, but it seems to be a lot of poison, and maybe that was just uh, the convenient way to go back then. Anyways, uh, September 1944. This one really gets me. This one is pretty twisted. Dorothy Jean Purcell is 19 years old, and she was staying at the Cecil with her boyfriend, a shoe salesman named Ben Levine, age 38. She was having stomach pains and didn't want to wake up her boyfriend, so she went to the communal bathroom. They didn't have their own private bathroom. And apparently she claimed she didn't even realize she was pregnant. And she gave birth in the bathroom to a baby boy. Um, I, I have a hard time with people who say they didn't know they were pregnant. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, uh, pretty obvious that you are. And there's a lot of things that happen to your body that are really fucked up when you're pregnant. And it, not knowing you're pregnant, just, I don't know. I, eh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't get it, though. I don't get it. Moving on. Um, so she stated that she thought the baby was dead when she gave birth. So she decided to open the window and throw him out, falling 12 flights, and he landed on the rooftop of the building next door. Then she just returned to bed with Levine while he was still sleeping. She didn't tell him about what just happened. So here's... Well, the whole thing's twisted, but this makes it even worse. The autopsy of the baby shows that there was still breath in the baby's lungs at death. So he wasn't dead when she threw him from the window. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity after being determined that she was insane at the time of the murder, but of sound mind afterwards. So this one just makes me wonder, um, was she aware that the baby was alive at birth, but maybe she didn't want her boyfriend to know, or maybe the fact that they weren't married and it was 1944 and she didn't want the shame that would come with being an unwed mother, you know, not to accuse her of knowingly and maliciously killing her baby, but come on. She threw her baby out of a window 
if you have a baby in a bathroom unexpectedly, born dead or not, would you just toss it? Doesn't it deserve at least, I don't know, a chance, maybe make sure by a doctor? Um, or doesn't it at least deserve a burial? So that's super disturbing. Um, I guess her and this boyfriend um, lived together, but it wasn't proven that he was the father. So maybe that's another factor. She really didn't want him to know. Who knows? Lot of questions and a lot of strange things there. Um, or when we talk about the Cecil and the dark energy that surrounds it, was she influenced by something else there? Anyways, moving on. November 1947, Robert Smith, 35, jumped from a 17th floor window and fell to his death. October 22nd, 1954, Helen Gurney, 55, San Francisco stationary firm employee, jumped from her window of the seventh floor room and landed on top of the Cecil Marquis. She checked in a week prior under the name Margaret Brown. February 1962, Julia Frances Moore, age 50, another jumper. She threw herself from the eighth floor room and landed in a uh, interior light well. Um, they found a bus ticket from St. Louis in her belongings, 59 cents, and a bank book with a balance of $1,800. October 12th, 1962, Polly Naughton, 27, and George Giannini, 65. This is another very odd one. Um, just the chances and coincidence of this actually happening is very, very strange. Polly Naughton jumped from her... Um, her room and she was having an argument with her estranged husband Dewey and he left she jumped and when she jumped out the window she landed on a passerby George Giannini it killed them both instantly there wasn't any witnesses so when they first came across this scene the first thought was they committed suicide together but the fact that George had his hands in his pockets and he still had his shoes on, led them to the conclusion that he didn't jump. His shoes would have most likely fallen off during the fall or impact, and his hands wouldn't have been in his pockets. So that's a strange one. June 4th, 1964, Pigeon Goldie Osgood, age 65, a retired telephone operator. This, this one's disturbing, and it's most likely never going to get solved. So we really don't know anything about her past before she gets to the Cecil. We don't know if she was ever married or had children. Uh, most women in the early 1900s were married, but after the Great Depression, women were allowed to live independently of men for the first time. So, you know, not all bad came from the Depression. She was alone when she arrived at the Cecil in 1958, and she was 59 years old. Um... It wasn't necessarily um, uncommon for that age, um, if she didn't have a husband, to be struggling to support, her se uh, sort of, uh, support herself. Um, pensions were small, and uh, she probably didn't make a lot of money, um, so she didn't really make enough money to buy a house. The hotel at that time gave opportunities for people to stay long-term for cheap. So Goldie was very popular and very well-liked. Goldie walked in the nearby square in her L.A. Dodgers baseball cap with a bag of birdseed. And she would spend hours feeding the pigeons. 
Um, that's where she got her nickname. And she would even shoo away the large birds to allow the weak and small birds to eat. Um, and this was her daily activity. On the day of her death, it was like any other. And after telling the other tenants good night, she retired to her room. An hour later, her body was found by a guy who was distributing telephone books to the hotel rooms. She was beaten, she was raped, and she was strangled with one of the hotel hand towels. Her attacker has still never been caught. They did have a suspect um, initially. There was a man who was found, he was found in the area of the hotel covered in blood, but he was ruled out. There was also another woman, um, Viva Brown, 50, and she was killed in the same or similar manner at a nearby hotel a few months prior. But despite having two similar murders, the police had no suspects. And the efficiency and quickness of the crime seems like the perpetrator would have um, known what he was doing. He wasn't new to killing and most likely not going to give up killing after these two women. So uh, next, December 20th, 1975, an unidentified woman, approximately 23, jumped from a 12-floor room onto the Cecil's second-floor roof. Um, When she checked in four days prior, she registered as Allison Lowell. September 1st, 1992, unidentified man, approximately 20 to 30 years old, was found in the alley behind the Cecil. Police said he either fell, jumped, or was pushed from the hotel's 15th floor. Okay, so now here we come to Elisa Lamb. Her disappearance was all over the media at the time, and the mysterious circumstances surrounding her death have been a hot topic of discussion over the years. Um, So Elisa Lamb was a Canadian student traveling to the U.S. by herself in early 2013. She arrived in LA on January 26th and checked into the Cecil two days later. She began in a shared room on the fifth floor. And sometimes when you're looking into her stuff or you're watching some of these shows about her, they don't mention this. And I think this is actually pretty important that she started out sharing a room and her roommate complained about how weird and odd her behavior was. And so Lamb was moved to her own room two days later. Um, Lamb had bipolar disorder and depression, and she was on four different medications to treat her disorders. And her family uh, was keeping her mental issues a secret, and they said she never had thoughts of suicide or attempts of suicide, although one report claims that she had gone missing for a brief period of time, but who knows what that even means. Um, Anyways... Elisa had started a blog, and she was really open about her mental illness. Um, She would openly discuss it. And in one post in January 2012, she discussed a relapse that forced her to drop classes and leave her, it left her feeling so utterly directionless and lost. So by traveling, Lamb contacted her parents every day. She was scheduled to check out of the Cecil on February 1st, 2013, and her parents didn't hear from her. Staff said they saw her that day, and she was also at a bookstore, and the clerk recalls her being outgoing and friendly. She was getting a gift to take home and was wondering if it'd be too heavy to carry around in her travels. 
After realizing that she was missing, her parents flew in and the police started searching. Searching, They searched her room. They searched the hotel building, the rooftop. They even used dogs to pick up her scent, which was unsuccessful. The police could only search where they were legally entitled to, so they couldn't search rooms without probable cause. A week after she was last seen, LAPD decided they needed more help, and they started canvassing the neighborhood with flyers and posting things online. So here's where the infamous elevator video comes in. You can easily find this video online um, and form your own opinion. This is the last known sighting of her. It shows her over the course of a few minutes uh, of the tape acting very strange. She's alone. She steps in and bends over and pushes multiple random buttons. She pops out and looks both ways, moves back in and scoots over to the corner as if she's hiding. She steps back out and she kind of does this little sidestep thing. And she's moving slow at times and kind of erratic at other times. She gets back into the elevator and she hits a bunch more of the elevator buttons in a manner that uh, is very much, it mimics like somebody under the influence of something. It's what it looks like. But um, it, it definitely looks like she's not thinking clearly. Thinking clearly, uh, Confusion, I don't know. Um, the whole time, the elevator door remains open. She steps out again, and uh, right after hitting all those buttons, she steps out, and she's standing there making these strange hand movements as if talking to someone. And eventually she walks away. And the whole video is just very strange. And people have analyzed and picked apart this video like crazy. Some saying that they see somebody's uh, foot in the lower left corner. She's walking away like somebody else's foot, like somebody was there. Um, Others have noticed that it appears like the video has been clipped or altered and a portion removed in the middle. Um, Several theories come from this video. And... um, one that is she uh, she's hiding and trying to get away from someone some say that she seems to be under the influence of drugs um, and then there's the theory of the elevator game and i'm not going to waste my time on this theory to be honest i think it's just stupid but basically let me tell you what this is it's a game that originated in japan and south korea And it's supposed to transfer you to another world. You push a series of buttons, like specific floors, there's instructions, and at some point a woman that is not real enters the elevator with you. You are not to look at her or speak to her. There's more floors that you go to and follow these instructions, including not to respond to her when reaching the 10th floor and she asks, where are you going? Or what's wrong in a high voice you get off and you're in another world there's a whole nother process to return so the theory is you know was she attempting the elevator game and uh, to be transferred to another world and she didn't follow the instructions correctly and her life was taken as a result i think this theory is nonsense so moving on there's also a conspiracy theory that involves her name After Lamb died, there was a tuberculosis outbreak in L.A., especially among the homeless in Skid Row. The test for TB was literally, and I'm using the word literally correctly here in case you're like me and you literally want to slap someone when they use the word literally all the time in sentences. 
just because I like how it sounds. Um, but it literally is her name backwards. It's Lam Elisa. And it stands for some long sciencey word. So if you like to jump on that conspiracy theory train, here's your fuel. She was a student from the University of British Columbia, which has a reputable tuberculosis research center. Lamb was sent to control the homeless population. She died because she knew too much or planned to expose whoever sent her. But sorry, conspiracy freaks. And I do mean that in a very nice way because my husband is a total conspiracy freak. We're talking Woody Harrelson with the jar of pickles in the movie 2012, Conspiracy Freak. But sorry, I'm not going to jump on that conspiracy train. Um, but just a little interesting uh, side note. Okay, so now it's February 19th. Um, and the guests are complaining about the water pressure and that the water is tasting funky. That's when a maintenance worker found Lamb's body in one of the four 1,000-gallon water tanks on the roof. Um, the tank provided water for the rooms, the kitchen, the coffee shop. The hatch was open. Yes, there's discussion about this detail, but yes, it was open when he got there. And she was floating face up and naked. Her clothes were floating in the water, and so was her room key and her watch. Um, no evidence of trauma or sexual assault initially, even though we don't know the results of the rape kit or the fingernail kit. Um, the autopsy, which you can read in its entirely online, shows the cause of death as drowning and ruled an accident. In addition, there was subcutaneous pooling of blood near her anal area, and some say this is a sign of sexual assault, but this can actually be dismissed as a result of bloating in the course of decomp and her rectum was also prolapsed. And I apologize if you hear a dog barking in the background. Um, again, my dogs do not like it when I leave them uh, to go into a room and shut the door behind me and do this. So she's just letting me know that um, she is ready for me to come out. So now here is where I'm gonna take a pause. I am sorry, uh, let me get that dog under control. Okay, I'm back again. Sorry, I uh, just had to get my uh, my big girl, Big Tuna is her name, had to get her uh, comfortable again without mama. Anyways, so again, we're talking about the autopsy. So here is what I think is significant, and this is where my opinion comes from. I am in the medical field, and an autopsy report is what I'm going to lean on for evidence in a questionable situation, just because that's where my mind is, um, you know, the scientific facts of things. So you might not agree with me, and that's okay. Um, but this is just, you know, what I think. Um, there's a lot of different opinions out there about what actually happened to her, but the autopsy shows that she had not been taking her meds, or she either stopped them. Um, it was at least under-medicated for her bipolar disorder. So let's stop and just chat about what bipolar actually is for a second. Bipolar disorder, previously known as manic depression, is a mental disorder characterized by periods of depression and periods of abnormally elevated moods that last from days to weeks. If the elevated mood is severe or associated with psychosis, it's called mania, if it is less severe, it's called hypomania. During mania, an individual behaves or feels abnormally energetic, happy, or irritable, and they often make impulsive decisions with little regard for consequences. Let me say that again. 
they often make impulsive decisions with little regard for consequences. So moving on, there is usually also a reduced need for sleep during manic phases. During periods of depression, the individual may experience crying, have a negative outlook on life, poor eye contact with others. The risk of suicide is high. Over a period of 20 years, 6% of those with bipolar disorder died by suicide, while 30 to 40% engaged in self-harm. Other mental health issues such as anxiety disorders and substance use disorders are commonly associated with bipolar disorder. While the cause of bipolar disorder is not clearly understood, both genetic and environmental factors play a role. So her strange behavior, I feel, can be chalked up to her lack of treatment for her mental disorders. Now, there's still question about how she gets into the tank and why she gets into the tank or how she even got on the roof, what her motivation was getting there. Um, did she get there herself? Was there another influence? You know, how did she end up in the tank? Listen, I don't know what was going through her mind, and I can't even begin to guess. I don't have those types of mental disorders, so I'm not going to understand them. And no one can assume what she was thinking, how she was feeling, or why she was doing what she was doing. I really don't think her behavior that we saw in that video is, I, I really, <clears throat> I think her behavior that we saw in that video is definitely related to her mental disorders. It's her lack of medication. So now does that mean that she climbed in herself um, in some strange state of mind or attempted suicide or she wasn't thinking clearly or she wasn't thinking about those consequences that would happen and wanted to just do something crazy and climb into a water tower. Um, she was trying to look in and she accidentally fell in. I don't know. Um, was she influenced by whatever dark cloud seems to surround the Cecil Hotel? Now, it is a theory that the mentally ill are more susceptible to spirits and paranormal. Um, so are we ever really going to know what happened to Elisa Lamb? Who knows? But moving past that crazy story, that mysterious death is just another one. Chalk it up to all of the mysterious, tragic deaths. Um, there is one more that was reported after that. June 13th, 2015, a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel, and they suspected that he jumped willingly, um, but the official report says undetermined. So that's the rundown of suspicious deaths over the years. Um, that doesn't account for all the deaths um, and suspicious activity there. A former long-term resident said it was pretty much lawless back in the 80s. Usually the higher floors were the ones that people got killed, is what he said. Anything higher than the sixth floor was dangerous. Speaking of the 80s, one of the most disgusting serial killers, a real piece of shit, sick fucker, uh, he was a resident at the Cecil for a while. I'm sure you've heard of this. Maybe you haven't. But the Cecil was already a shit show at that time. Shady people in and out, prostitutes, drug dealers. Seems like a perfect place for a serial killer to hang out and blend in and not get noticed. Not that I am anyway putting sex workers and drug dealers in the same category as cold-blooded murderers. But a serial killer isn't exactly going to blend in at the Ritz-Carlton. But the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, he found it a safe place for him to return after he um, committed murders. Um, Ramirez's room was on the 14th floor. He paid $14 a night for his room. 
And to our knowledge, he never brought any of his victims back to the hotel. Ramirez was torturing, raping, killing, causing extreme fear in L.A. up until he was caught in 1985. Uh, he's a whole other topic that I'm not going to dive too deep into right now because that's a whole other show. Just know um, he was a sick fuck who did sick things, and he he's he's in my top five um, of the sickest of sick fucks. Um, but you know what bothers me the most about him? Why I think he is in the top five of my list? What scares me about him is how random he was. He didn't go after specific types. It wasn't only just, oh, the girls that looked like his ex-girlfriend that broke his heart, or the teenage boys because you're pedophile, or the really good-looking people, or the prostitutes. Seriously, he had no type at all. He was truly random. His victims were old. They were young. He killed them by different means. He shot them. He strangled them. Um, some of them he left alive. Some of them he raped. Some kidnapped. He burglarized. Um, and he would even eat your food. So no one was safe. Everyone was in fear of this guy. Um, he was known to return to the hotel, walking through the halls in bloodstained underwear, barefoot, and he would dispose of his bloodstained clothes in the dumpster outside before walking in. So apparently that just gives you a good idea of how much of a shit show this place was because that didn't raise any red flags like this guy just casually walking through in tidy whities that had blood all over him and he's barefoot and that didn't concern anybody and he just blends in. So that's, you know, that just shows you how fucked up this place is. Um, it, and it was believed that he was staying there um, in 1985 near the end of his reign of terror. So he was not the only serial killer that stayed there. Jack Unterweger was an Austrian serial killer who killed in West Germany, Austria, and Czechoslovakia, and the United States. Um, he's another one that is a long story. Um, going into his background, it includes uh, his mother was possibly a sex worker. He was in and out of prison from a young age, 16 times for theft and pimping and uh, sex assaults on sex workers. Um, in 1974, he murdered an 18-year-old German citizen, Margaret Schaefer, by strangling her with her own bra. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison in 1976. And while he was in prison, he wrote poems and plays and short stories, and he wrote an autobiography. And these things actually helped him get released early. They they showed signs that he was rehabilitating. Um, and in 1985, a campaign to get him released started. Long story short, uh, he was released in May 1990. So a side note that's twisted. Um, after he required, uh, after his required 15 years um, minimum of his life sentence, he was released. His autobiography was taught in schools and his story for children were performed uh, at an Austrian radio show. Um, he himself hosted television programs discussing criminal rehabilitation. So he worked as a reporter um, or a public broadcaster. He reported on stories concerning the very murders that he was later found guilty of. He was killing women and all of them, he was strangling them with their own bras. 
1991, he came over to Los Angeles to report on crime and the difference in the attitudes on prostitution in the U.S. compared to Europe. He was even going on ride-alongs with police in L.A., posing as a reporter to get information. And um, while he was there in L.A., he killed three sex workers. Um, He was eventually caught and extradited back to Austria, where he was charged with 11 murders. After conviction, he committed suicide in jail by hanging himself using the same knot he used to strangle the sex workers he killed. And supposedly, he stayed at the Cecil to follow in Ramirez's footsteps. Um, You know, he wanted to be like him. He wanted to stay there and stay where the Night Stalker stayed. Um, Another notable well-known name that's associated with the hotel, well, possibly. It's said that the Black Dahlia, a.k.a. Elizabeth Short, was seen at the Cecil Bar shortly before her death in 1947. Um, no proof on that. That's just hearsay. She may or may not have been there. And I guess that's an area that she would be in. Um, but who knows? And honestly, she's a whole another topic as well. Um, she deserves her own episode. Um, her story is also very fascinating to me. Uh, another little nugget of information. In 1987, the Irish rock band U2 performed on the roof of the building next to the Cecil for their video, Where the Streets Have No Name. In Blink-182's video, The Rock Show, the hotel can be seen in the background. And like I mentioned before, the fifth season of American Horror Story is loosely based on the Cecil. Um, In 2015, American Horror Story creator Ryan Murphy spoke about the Cecil. Um, He said, I was always very obsessed with the Hotel Cecil that is downtown. So in American Horror Story, it's called Hotel Cortez. um, And the basis of the story is there's all these tormented souls that have been trapped in the hotel after they die there, either by suicide or murder. Um, And like the Cecil, the Hotel Cortez in the show was um, run down like in a bad part of town. And then there's one episode, the episode that's called Devil's Night. um, Richard Ramirez shows up. So um, again, a great season. I dug it. It was cool. Um, there's been a lot of other TV shows and movies that have kind of sprinkled the Cecil in. Um, 1991, there was a movie called Barton Fink uh, by the Coen brothers with John Turturro and John Goodman. There was a 2018 movie called Followed. Not familiar with that one. I have not seen that one. Um, didn't hear a lot about it. I'm, I might watch it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Ghost Adventures recently did a special on the Cecil where um, they went in and investigated. I watched it. It was pretty entertaining. Um, I do like those guys, even though they get a little dramatic. Um, But hey, it's TV, right? It can't be boring. But that was entertaining. I liked that episode. It was good. Um, All the behind the scenes. Um, Just a side note, when I watch those things, I tend to be a little, uh, I don't know, I I pick it apart. I'm more of the uh, critical... Uh, debunking, you know, not jumping right on board when you see something strange. 
Um, my husband and I actually used to run a paranormal investigating group many years ago. Um, the equipment and things have come a long way since then. We kind of had to do it old school. But when I watch those shows, uh, maybe I'm a little more critical. But I still do watch them for entertainment value, and I think those guys do a good job. So not say anything bad about you, Zach. Anyways, um, now the recent Netflix show um, about the Cecil, in my opinion, was a total letdown. Uh, you might have liked it. Uh, I think I wish they would have looked at the Cecil in its entirety Um kind of talked more of all of its strange darkness, not just concentrating so much on the Elisa Lamb situation. Yes, that was tragic. Um, but that's not what the entire reputation of the Cecil is. Um, and that's not what it's all focused around. Um, the point is, is, you know, all of this darkness that surrounds the Cecil, are things being influenced? Are things happening to these people because of the Cecil? Um so basically that show, it just, it took you through this ride of questions and all these interviews, strange and irrelevant parts, and then it kind of loops you back around to just kind of settling on, it was probably her mental disorder factor and an accidental drowning. So I don't know, it was a letdown. And uh, um, some of the information they gave was interesting. And uh, the general manager did say that there was 80 deaths in the 10 years that she was there. Um, from 2007 to 2017, which is crazy. Of course, those are not all like murders and suicides. It's just the place is such a, you know, um, again, a shit show. I just can't think of a better word to use to describe it. So that's why you hear me keep saying shit show. Uh, it was a shit show. Um, there was just a lot, a lot of um, just craziness going on there. So it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just a bunch of suicides. Um so the Cecil plans to open back up possibly this year in October, and it's supposed to have 299 hotel rooms and 264 uh, resident rooms. And the roof where Lamb's body was found, they're turning the into turning that into some kind of amenity space for guests. Uh, I don't know if that means they're you know throwing a pool up there, or they're doing a you know who knows a restaurant, a bar, you know you can go hang out up there, uh, you know near where this poor girl drowned and all this conspiracy and craziness comes from um so the cecil has a very bizarre and violent history but is the cecil haunted what do you think i think first you have to ask yourself if you even believe in ghosts and spirits and hauntings if you don't then there's your answer but if you are among those who do feel spirit, spirits can hang around this world, um, it is believed that they are here because they died violently or they died before their time. And the Cecil has seen its fair share of violence and tragic deaths. So I'd say this place is a perfect setup for those lost, tortured souls. But I think we can at least agree on the fact that the Cecil is definitely a very ominous and eerie location. Maybe the hotel feeds on the vulnerable and the weak. Um, so whether there's a strange and unexplained force driving people to take their own lives and commit acts of murder, or even get a room there while you're out killing elsewhere because maybe you're drawn in and you feed off of its dark energy, 
The fact is, the Cecil has a reputation for all the wrong and tragic reasons. So that's it. That's the Cecil. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, Cecil, always interesting to me. I like talking about it. I like doing the research on it. Um, I hope you liked it. Um, you guys can follow me on Facebook at Follow Me Into the Dark. You can follow me on Instagram at the same, but there's underscore in between each of the words. And if you want to contact me, you can contact me at Follow the Dark Podcast, all one word, Follow the Dark Podcast at gmail.com. I would love your feedback, or even if you have a request for a topic, that would be awesome. Um, thanks again, guys. And until next time, stay dark, my twisted friends. Bye.